I'll join you in Luke 12 in just a moment. Um, we're just about to get ready to return to school. There are so many, many things going on in our nation and across this world. I, I am not even going to rehearse it. As a matter of fact, I try to keep uh, a lot of those things out of the pulpit because we just get a constant diet of it, whether we want it or not sometimes, correct? You just about can't get away from bad news. And, uh, but that's why we gather here to hear the good news. Amen. Uh, just want to, just want to encourage you that the Lord knows the day and the hour in which we live. And I want to tell you, God is quite capable of taking care of his children. God is capable. If you travel through the book of Luke, this physician in his day, if you travel through, and I'm not about to, to try to cover it all, but you'll discover very quickly, first of all, of course, and Luke, one of the most prolific writers about the miraculous birth of Jesus Christ. He gives us details that are important. Then we hear about, as other gospel writers, the ministry of John the Baptist, then we see the temptation of Christ. And then we go through numerous miracles that he had called his disciples and he started his ministry and all these miraculous things that Jesus did. We saw that temptation of Christ and then we even encounter what is the example, we call it the Lord's Prayer. But the place I want to arrive about midway today in chapter 12 is the time where Jesus stopped to teach his disciples. I wish I could tell you when you got saved, you knew it all. How many of you know there's a big journey through this word? <laughs> but how many of you love this book? Oh, I love this book. So he teaches his disciples. And he teaches them important things. And I'm going to take a portion of this this morning, try my best to unveil what Christ instructed the disciples of which we are their followers the next generation, if you will. He taught them important things. He said some things like, to follow me if you're going to and to minister for me and live a Christian life, you're gonna need some things. And one of the things he taught is you're gonna need some courage. They sit there a second. You're going to need some courage. He goes on to say, you're going to meet some opposition. Even in the household of faith. I want to be for you, not against you. Amen. And he talks about some of the sacrifices that they would have to make. Whoa, wait a minute, Lord. I thought you did all the sacrificing. And yes, he did. He completed salvation, and he said, it is finished. And ladies and gentlemen, I'm not 20% saved. Today I stand redeemed by the blood of the Lamb, declared righteous in the high court of heaven. I read a deal here a while back, and I shared it some with my staff. I'm not going to go into it, but there is a, a theological persuasion where, and they try to prove it through the Word of God and all that, and I just go, wow, I, can, I will not... It, anyway, their point was that when you come to Christ, you're 97% saved. 
And you get the rest of the 3% when you get to the glory world. <laughs> I think you've got to stretch to get there. How many of you believe that the blood was sufficient? I believe the work was finished. I'm not, I will not allow those kind of things come into my, my concept. But we arrive at chapter 12, and Jesus talks about a very common situation which makes it a very known topic about the human experience of worry, anxiety, and fretting. Is there anybody here not guilty? And if you said that, I'd be, I'd be afraid you might be mistaken. <laughs> Jesus has just dwell, dealt with a young a man who was very wealthy before. We're going to be at verse 22. And in the previous verses, he dealt with a rich man and so wealthy, I'll tear down my barns and build them. And Jesus says something about like this. You fool, this night your soul will be required of you. Then whose will all these be which you have provided. I want to tell you something. When we leave here, folk, we're going to leave it all. The good news is we get to take with us what we've become and who we are. We got to keep, we have, we need to keep eternity in mind every day. Boy, we're so materialistically formed. And so he goes here at verse 22. He's dealt with that. Let's read about this issue. So he said to his disciples, therefore, because of what he just said, I say to you, God speaking to you, do not say it. Do not worry about your life. What you will eat, nor about the body, what you will put on. Life... I'd like to take a message and just preach that word right there because we miss it sometimes. We think life is what we're doing here. We are infused with super spiritual life from God. And it, and it intersects with the natural life. It, life is more than food and the body is more than clothing. Consider the ravens for they neither sow nor reap, which have neither storehouse nor barn, and God feeds them. Of how much more value are you than the birds? And which of you by worrying can add one cubit to his stature? I've tried to do that with, with energy drinks, but it doesn't work. <laughs> Did you leave your humor at home this morning? I'm just testing you out. What, what can we do to add to ourselves? What, what can we really change? What, what about all that? And which of you by worrying can add a cubit to a stature? Verse 26, if you then are not able to do the least, why are you anxious for the rest? Verse 27, consider the lilies, how they grow. They neither toil nor spin. And yet I say to you, even Solomon in all his glory, name it, you want it, Solomon had it. Imagine it, he had it. In all of his glory, he was not arrayed like one of these. Verse 28, if then God so clothes the grass, 
which today is in the field and tomorrow is thrown into the oven, how much more will he clothe you? Do I read it? O oh, you of little faith. How many of you know I did that on purpose? Good. Verse 29. And do not seek what you should eat or what you should drink, nor have an anxious mind. For all these things the nations of the world seek after, and your Father knows. Turn to somebody and say, our Father knows. Our Father knows that you need these things. But seek the kingdom of God, and all these things shall be added unto you. Verse 32, do not fear, little flock, for it is your Father's good pleasure to give you the kingdom. And he's talking about here a principle about generosity. God didn't expect us to sell our car and houses and everything and just throw it away and give it. If the Spirit of God leads you to do that, fine. But he's talking about our, our generosity and the value that we place on things. Sell what you have and give alms. Provide yourselves money bags which do not grow old, a treasure in the heavens that does not fail, where no thief approaches nor moth destroys. Watch this. For where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. So where's your treasure this morning? Where's your treasure? <laughs> I want to talk about not dealing with and not considering worry and all that. I want to talk about defeating worry. Defeating worry. We are in a day in a world full of fear and worry. I, I, I heard one, somebody say we're in a phobia-infested world. <laughs> Pretty good term. Last Wednesday night, I, I did some, I told, I think I read years ago about we, scientists or psychologists have found 365 fears or worries or anxieties or things like that, one for every day of the year. Listen to this. I searched it. I searched the word phobias. How many phobias? I was amazed. I was taken back. Get online and try it. I was even shocked. Because I see our society today, and I, Lord, what's troubling us? What is there about this day that has... Here's what's amazing. We have, a, we have a, a nation, ladies and gentlemen. I don't know about other nations, but I know about this one. We're struggling. We're struggling in so many ways. But on the inside of security and the sense of, of value and, and our politics and the possibility of war and famine and all the things, the, the pandemic that's coming, mask or no mask, shot or no shot, a distance or no distance. I want to tell you, ladies and gentlemen, we could use some genuine peace from the Lord. And I believe he has it. And I'm going to try to lead us through that this morning. These phobias amazed me. I looked them up and one list was alphabetically and I did my best to try to count through all of them. I counted somewhere around, I didn't want to count it five times to be exact. You can do that on your own. Somewhere right near 570 phobias. 570 phobias. I just went, uh, uh, surely not. 
There were many of them I had never heard of, and I thank God I've never experienced them. I'm not going to call all their names. You can look it up and go through their fifth point. But I'll just run through these. There's a fear of darkness. Some people have that. There's a fear of needles. When I was in the first grade, I thought they were that big. There's a fear. There are people who have fear of flowers. And I go, what do you think it's going to do to you? Fear of flowers. I am not making this up. You read it. Fear of peanut butter. If I feared it, it's only because I didn't get it. (laughs) A fear of peanut butter? Is this just... I mean, if it's real, I'm not trying to make fun. It's just pretty odd to me. There's a, what is it, arachnophobia? I believe it's the fear of spiders. I'm not afraid of them. I've just determined if they bite me, I'll bite them back. <laughs> There's people who have fear of plants. There's people who have fear of snow. There are people who fear clowns, trees, buttons. <laughs> There are people who have fear of feet. There are people who fear beautiful women. Oh, Jesus, I'm not about to touch that. But here's what I wanted to point out to you. I'm going to do the best I can. You can look it up and you can do a much better job. So I'm going to guess that. Watch this. There is a fear of hippopotamon, strosis, quipid, aleophobia. One word. Hippopotamon, strosis, quipid, aleophobia. It's the fear of long words. <laughs> Pastor, you're making that up. I wish I were. One site says that some 19 plus million people in the United States every day suffer with some kind of phobia. But I promise you this, we deal with it every day. And I thought this was funny. I, I Just please take it tongue in cheek. I got on one side, it said, the five top treatments or remedies for phobias. There's a product called Xenopin. The second one is Tranquil, Tranquiline. Then there's Zen Life, if you know about that. And then there's Nerve Relax. And then there's Enlifta. And the study was done about, they think this one's 86%. Uh, uh, it works, or and then the, some of them down to 13%. I noticed at every bottom of every one of them, <laughs> they're selling this product to help you come from worrying, and it says this will support your mood. And every one of them had a disclaimer at the bottom that said something like this. If the condition persists, consult your physician. Now, that's what I want to do. I want to pay a lot of money for a pill, and if it doesn't work, I go see my doctor. Well, this is wonderful, isn't it? 
Is it any wonder, ladies and gentlemen, that the king from heaven who created us came and instructed his disciples and tell us something about how to handle worry and anxiety and all these pressures? And you, when you read it up front, we read it. He said this to the disciples. I want to just tell you, put yourself in that place. He said, you're going to have trouble. You're going to be persecuted. You're going to have to have courage. We went through some of that. You, all this, there'll be dangers. There'll be trials. There'll be challenges. They're going to hate you like they hated me. And he was telling them what all it meant to be a Christian. And when he did, I think it actually intensified and increased their anxiety. Listen, God doesn't pull tricks on us. God tells us how to live this life and gives us everything we need to make us sufficient to be victorious Christians. If that's not true, we might as well shut the book. I'm not talking about treatments. I want to talk about a cure for worry. A defeat. I want to say again, we deal with it. Jesus addressed it. And I've noticed in our world, some who are subject most to fears are the people who seemingly live with a veneer like they have life all together. Some who fear the most are the ones who seem like they have life altogether. And here's what's amazing about that. They don't realize trying to have life altogether. Here's a fear. You're afraid somebody's going to know you're afraid. And here's another one. They, they put on this veneer because, to be honest with you, they're afraid of God's control. What's he going to do? What's he going to require? What's he going to ask of me? What will I have to do? And because if I'm in God's control, then I'm not in control, and they're afraid to let God control. Isn't that amazing? <laughs> and it's true. Let me, let's be honest. Sometimes what God does is not neat. It doesn't have clear aspects to us. Not everything God does is tidy. How many of you know God will do things that you don't expect? If it can be, from a human perspective, some of the things that God does looks even messy. Pastor, you would say that. Listen, the Christian life, the Christian life was consummated in an awful mess. Recall Pilate's Hall. Recall Calvary and Golgotha. That was a messy sacrifice, wasn't it? So this call to be a Christian, how many of you are glad you're in the household? How many? I see some of you aren't glad. So this call to be a Christian, it is not to live in denial. It's not the call to live with our head in the sand and, and, and say in a, in our, to ourselves, everything is under my control and there is nothing to fear except to fear the things that are not under my control. 
Young people, mom and dad, if we live the Christian life where everything is under our control, let me notify us absolutely. We will cease to trust God when everything is out of our control. And I want to tell you that can be, that can look pretty ridiculous. How many of you know that human nature sometimes can be almost comical? How many of you, how many of you have done some things that made you look foolish and you hope nobody saw it? I, I saw a deal the other day. Ladies, get ready. I'm going to show you this little video. That to me, here, here's, here's a picture of what human beings, I think, look like when they can't control things. If you will, please. <laughs> oh, come on. You've got to think that's hilarious. You ever look like that? I wonder if God goes, go ahead and try. Just keep it up. Just work yourself into a mess. How many of you know the word tizzy? <laughs> work yourself into a tizzy. Thank you, Megan. Some of you, I hope that's not what you remember out of today's message. But the next time you try to control, I hope you remember it. You gotta admit, the more we try to control, the more we're not in control. We just don't get there, can't. So here's a lesson from the Christ, and it's important. I wanna note something. Jesus did not simply say, do not worry, do not be afraid. I wanna declare this today, and I want us to hear it. Jesus did not just give a worldly or human reasoning or advice. Jesus gave godly counsel. And sometimes there's a big difference. And this is the reason we go to the Word of God and not just mere human advice of mere men. You say, Pastor, don't you think counselors are, are, are good? Yes, I believe there's a lot of help that God gives us one another. But when we have things we can't deal with, listen, God says that he knows how to deal with every issue that humanity will ever know. And here's the truth. You cannot simply just try to change your mind and change, change your circumstances by someone saying, don't worry or don't fear. You may have tried it. Numerous times. So how does this Lord of glory reach into the heart of his creature, into the minds that we are given, and into the circumstance, our situation, and do a spirit surgery in those who are twice born? How does the Lord do that? I want to show you three things. And I'm just going to go through them quickly. It'll be my sermon. Here it is. He sees the symptom. I want to tell you, God sees if you're struggling trying to control. He knows, he knows that's happening. This Christ that instructs the disciples 
points to where it is that worry and anxiety and fear and stress has an opportunity to appear in our lives. I heard one pastor remark, I took notes years ago and I don't remember, but here's, here's one pastor said this, one of the most common reactions that we people, we human beings do when we're stressed or we're worried, we try to get out from under the pressure, we try, to, we try to change it, we try to control it, and one of the biggest things that we do is we run to alcohol or we run to drugs, and the statement is made, I'm just gonna get stoned out of my mind. Wow. And most people who say that, and most of us who realize, I don't know if we realize it or not, but that statement actually puts its finger on the problem. Pastor, what are you talking about? That statement, I'm just going to get stoned out of my mind, expresses this. It is saying it is really not circumstance. It's really not situation. But worry and anxiety is a signal. It is a signal that there is a problem with the mind and its poor and faulty thinking. So let's see if we're there. How many of you are saved in this building? Those of you online. How many of you know that God's omnipotent? Since you know that, why do you ever think poorly? Because here it is, it is possible. We can rearrange circumstances. We can change employment. We can change marriage partners. We can change all the players and all the uh, many ways we can try to change our environment and still never get any relief from the mental anguish. Our world's full of it. I'm telling you the truth. So I want to tell you, Jesus did not mince words. Let's get this straight. If you are fearful, if you are worrying, if you are an attack, as we call it, of anxiety, Jesus says you are involved in poor thinking. And the heart is vexed because of negative thoughts. I would like to say this, if you are involved in poor thinking, you're listening to Satan and not the Spirit of God. Here's where that happens. Wrong priorities begin to happen. Try to, try to get out of the word for it, wrong priorities. Jesus said to the disciples, you are concentrating on clothing and on food, in essence, temporal things. And when your mind centers on that, you begin to confuse priorities. When you're thinking about these material things, Christ is really not on the throne of your mind. Jesus says this, life is far more than these, the things you're contemplating. Listen, don't miss this. The spirit life of God that is in us when we get wrong priorities and poor thinking, that spirit life in us is beginning to wane. Young people, here, Pastor, Mom and Dad, 
Life is God's life. Genuine life being that we have in us, our soul and our spirit, life is life with God. And listen, you can exist, but you're not living if you don't have God life in you. You can, you can exist for years, but you're not living because God life makes you live with the life inside of you. Life then is loving God. It's communing with God. It's a relationship with God. And I want you to hear this. A mind with God is a mind at peace. A mind with God is a mind at ease. A mind with God, someone needs to hear this today, in this room or online, a mind with God has no torment. A mind with God has no torment. A mind with God is tempered by God himself and by his eternality. Poor priorities comes second is poor assumptions. I want to share with you, worry adds nothing except more worry. Worry always attempts to take away the voice of God in your spirit. The third one is this, poor reasoning. When we were saved, we were born again, we received a new nature, and we began to be able to receive wisdom. And I want to say, I think one of the tricks of Satan is to keep people out of church, and one of the tricks I think we've had in this pandemic is to try to divide the body of Christ because there is a great boon and a tremendous blessing for us to come to God's house and redirect our thinking toward God's thinking and be out of the presence of a world that pulls away from us and subtracts from us and come to a place where we can, we can encourage one another and the Spirit of God can heal us and re redirect us in every part of our lives. So Jesus says, in essence, here's how to think. Look at the birds. God feeds them. Look at the flowers. God designed them. But I want you in that destruction, don't miss the point when Jesus said that. Jesus is not saying, take a stroll outside. Look at the beautiful air and the clouds and the flowers and the trees and the grass. Oh my, how lovely and beautiful isn't all this. And listen, all that can be therapeutic. But that is not the point Christ was talking about. Because I want to tell you something. You can go out and get all the therapeutic outside and beauty and all that and still be tormented in your mind. You still can. Jesus, he said this, see these insignificant birds. One bird in billions. It has not one possession. It owns nothing. And yet I feed it. Jesus says, Look at the beautiful flowers and ask, what is the message this sends to you? And here's the point. Here's the point. This, this is the crux. If you read when he said about the birds and what he said about the flowers, both times, 
He said this, how much more valuable are you? How much more will he care for you? Listen, a sparrow can't even have a funeral without God attending it. And those are temporal and they pass away and you and I have a spirit in us that they do not have and we're gonna be here for eternity. That's what God's talking about. That God life that's in you, I placed it there and it's gonna be eternal. And I will care for you from this day all the way through an endless eternity. You recall the wise men in Proverbs said something along this line, talking to you, me, I want to place it to you. You trust in the Lord with all your heart. How many of you trust in the Lord? Come on, Pastor. Watch this. Here's our problem. Trust in the Lord, but he also said, don't lean to your own understanding. Do you realize we just lost control? We're just trying to mop the ocean. Lean not, let's just say it to one another, come on. Lean not to your own reasoning. I don't wanna start a family fight, but every time we start talking negative, maybe our mates should say, don't lean to your own understanding. But in all your ways acknowledge him, and he will make the direction of your life get into a straight pattern. Thirdly, or secondly, first of all, we see the symptom, then he traces it to the cause. Verse 28, we read it. O ye of, say it with me, little faith. Hear it. You can be in the faith and you can be of the faith and still be of little faith. <laughs> I had to, I, I thought about that when he said, and you find it later, he'll say to the lady, remember, who had faith, such great faith. And, and so there's little faith and great faith, and we've been taught for the last 30 years, you would think it's a, a noun and, and to get a mountain of it, but the Lord says if you have faith the size of a mustard seed, you can say to this problem, but it's about faith. And you can be in it and of it and still have little. Jesus said when you worry, when you're anxious, when you begin to fret, Pastor Brooks, Sister Brooks, please don't say amen. Pastor, when you, what's this going to do? How's it going to, when you, when you try to, listen, let's give ourselves a little room. How many of you know that the traits of leadership does try to control things? And some of us, you could, we can be accused of being micromanagers. You just try to control it all, control it all. I, I, I don't want to be a micromanager and I don't want to try to control it all. Because I've learned the value of, of, uh, what do you call it, assigning it? Delegation. Delegation, thank you. I've learned, learned the value of that and turn God's talented people loose and do all that. But Jesus is saying when you worry, when you worry, it's a warning sign of little faith. 
You're, 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 you're going in a little faith direction. Do you remember? I want to just remind us right quickly. Right quickly. In Matthew, he especially writes this. Chapter 8, the disciples are on a ship, there's a, and Christ is on it. There's a major storm, and they are literally scared to death, and they awaken him, and they said, Master, don't you care that we... And listen, the very fact he was on the boat meant that he cared. I want to tell you something. Jesus is walking this hour with us right now. And he said, I promise I will never leave you. I will never forsake you, even to the end of this pandemic. You say, Pastor, didn't you add word? Even to the end of this world and all that it brings. And Jesus said, when you start worrying, you start fretting, you start doing that, you're headed toward a little faith. These were the disciples. These were the people who said, we'll follow you. Lord, we lay down the fishing nets. We lay down the attorney, we, uh, the, the physician. We, all these things. Tax collecting. We lay it down, follow you. And he said, when you start worrying, you're headed toward little faith. And I'm going to tell you, the guy you're looking at, the guy you're listening to, has been spanked by the Spirit of the Lord. Good. Did you say that? <laughs> well, I guess that about says it all. <laughs> oh. Aren't you glad God gave us a laugher? It's it's amazing. You're headed for little faith. Again, I don't I don't want to cause dissonance in our lives, but when we start worrying or fretting and we get anxious, maybe someone ought to say you're headed toward little faith. And, and Jesus said, he just simply, he said, why? He still the storm, remember? And he said, why were you afraid, oh, you of little faith? And then you come to chapter 14 where the miraculous time where the waves and this time Christ is walking on the water and, and Peter says if that's you let me and he said come on get out of the boat and then Peter did what you know what he started heading toward little faith you know why because he looked around and he started seeing the winds boisterous and all that and he headed for little faith and Jesus rescued rescued him and he said why did you doubt oh one of little faith he didn't indict his relationship. He didn't indict his salvation. Didn't indict the fact that he was chosen to follow. He said, you're headed for little faith. And chapter 16, the disciples forgot to bring lunch and they were worried about, well, oh, what are we going to do? And Jesus said, you're worried about this kind of stuff. You're headed toward little faith. It's as if Jesus is trying to go back and remind them and remind them and remind them. When you're thinking and your eyes on the storm and your vision is centered on waves and your focus is on making sure you have bread, the author of faith is standing right beside you. And we are so enamored with ourselves and our disrupting of obstacles, our eyes get off the omnipotent, sovereign God of our promised salvation. <laughs> Did he save you, yes or no? Can he keep you, yes or no? 
Has he kept you? Yes or no? When I preached to my ministers back in February, I was on this platform. And I made the statement, and I've had several of them come and say, Pastor, I I can't get over that, that word you said. And I made a statement something like this. Not through the annals of time, not one time at any time, any place has God ever done anything to give us an excuse not to trust him. You say, yeah, but pastor, what about the messy stuff? Listen, God will use the base things of this world to confound even the wise. Wow. Generation 2021, let's hear it again. Our God is omnipotent. Jehovah Yahweh God is sovereign and be encouraged. Listen to me. I I wrote, I tried to get it in certain ways. Be encouraged. Young people, mom and dad, little faith has the exact same Savior as great faith. Pastor, I just don't feel like I have great faith. Same Savior. So he sees the symptom he Trace it to the cause. Here's the last one. He gives us the remedy. And the remedy is the Father. He is the author. He planned it. He is the creator of life. And when our parents supplied the necessity by the partnership of God to bring life and generations. God had already prepared my soul and spirit and your soul and spirit to place it in that fertilized egg and let life go on, not just existence, but life in God. And how is it that we so many times let circumstance immediately let us forget about Jesus is not saying life's like a picnic and a breeze. It has no problems, not at all. Truth is, he said there's going to be trials, tests, storms, plagues, and they'll come because the enemy's going to be determined. But in these trials, tests, and plagues, and storms, I will teach you, stay by me, and I will teach you to trust me more and more and more. And the more you trust me, the less hold of anything this world has will attach itself to you. I want to say again, Genesis 20, 21, late day church, hear me. I've only got about, a, I've got about a page and a half left. You ready? Today's big problem. We allow our dependence upon self. We allow our own knowledge, reasoning, our circumstance, and our surroundings. We allow those to so catch our attention, to so distract us, and interrupt our affection toward God. I'm preaching this because about three weeks ago, I felt really bad. I was going through one of those times. I got by myself and I began to talk to the Lord. I came in here 
It was pitch dark and I threw myself on the floor in this sanctuary. And I fell in love with the Father all over again. I fell in love with Him. He's not just out there. He's not just some God. He's not just some entity. He is my He is my Abba, my, no disrespect, my dad, my spiritual creator. And he has walked with me and talked with me and helped me and encouraged me and called me and let me do the grace, most gracious thing in the world. Speak as if it's his voice of which I've never felt worthy, but I, this much I know God and I are a majority. Stop letting this world affect your affection with the Father. I love this story. I love this story. I heard a man speak it years and years and years ago. One of our ministers, he's, he's with the Lord now. He talked about, about a 12-year-old boy. Two moms were in the house and their kids went off to school. Our kids were about to come home from school and these moms were talking about this one of the house. She said, I can't tell you, I have no idea. Thank you, John. You, give a, you gave us the name to talk about little Johnny all the time. I've told little Johnny all this time, he won't take a bath. He don't want to wash behind his ears. He don't want to brush his teeth. He just wants to throw something. I tell you, I have been through 12 years of all that teaching and all that training. Buy him all this stuff and push him and push. He said, all of a sudden, the last month, he, he brushes his teeth. He takes bath. He puts on cologne. He dresses the best he can. She said, all of our work is paid off. And good, good because I think you ought to sow those things. And these people that say, well, I just think a child ought to be able to make up their decision about everything. Well, then don't tell them to brush their teeth. Are you kidding me? You're supposed to be the parent. You're supposed to raise these children. Thought I'd put that in. I get tired of this ideology. Well, I just think I'm gonna let them believe what they wanna believe. That is an excuse for you not to do your job. I guess nobody loves me anymore. She said, oh, it's just wonderful. And the little neighbor lady, she said, wait a minute, wait a minute. She said, come here, let me show you something. And when little Johnny got off the bus, he got off first, reached up and got a hand, had two sets of books under his arm, and he helped a pretty little blonde-headed girl down off that bus. And the whole concept was the power of a new affection. The power of a new affection with my God. I want to tell you something, we will never get rid of worry trying to get rid of worry. I've said this many times, our schedules rob us of intimacy with God. I've said this, to be much for God, we must be much with God. I'm closing. Verse 30, he said, your father knows. 
Say it with me. Your Father knows. Verse 32, your Father's good pleasure is to give. And I love verse 34. The treasure you have, it's not talking about these treasures. He's talking about where your treasure is. This is that relationship, that affection, that life where you and God commune one-on-one, deep Christ to deep. Where that treasure is, that's where your heart's going to be. Because I'm going to stop and say right in the middle of all this something I've said forever. It is this. Ladies and gentlemen, this ain't it. Keep that in mind. Pastor, you want to, you want to, you think we ought to live life absolutely, abundantly to the, to as much as we can. God's not a killjoy. He put all these joys here. But you got to, you got to keep priorities right. You got to keep your thinking right. And you have to keep loving on the God of our salvation. I want to tell you something. I know I'm a, I'm a sentimental old granny, but I will tell you something. Pastor John and I were in the office today. We were talking. He said, Pastor, I know all these new songs, but when I go to the Lord and I go to pray and I get in that, like that closet of prayer, I always reach back to those old songs in my childhood. When, when, let me tell you what I go back to. All of my life being raised in a church, especially on Sunday nights, Sunday nights were the evangelistic time. And on Sunday nights, we would go through what we called a testimony service. And then the pastor would preach. And then on Sunday nights, you would go to an altar. How many remember that? We'd go to an altar, all of us. I mean, 99% of them would go to an altar. And we would kneel. And we would pray. And some would get back up and sit on first two or three or four pews. And we would spend 30 minutes, an hour singing some would sing some were silent some would weep some would just pray but so many times sitting in that common environment I felt the presence of God so many times I knew the voice of God deep inside of me it is Satan's good pleasure to get us away from the altar and time with the Father. Ladies and gentlemen, our worry tells us our affection with the Father. I don't even know if this is going to make sense, but I'm going to just say it. Church, we need a new affection time with God.